Have you guys ever heard of the, 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 the personality tool strength finders? Have you ever used those things? You, you take a test and it basically says, hey, there's 35 or 33 strengths. And it says, here's your top five. And then here's your top 10. And then here's your bottom five. And if you're anything like me, you immediately go to the bottom five. Like, gosh, what are those bottom five? But if you're a strength finder person, the way it works is that you're just supposed to live in your top five and 10. Like, like don't, you just spend your energy maximizing your best strengths and don't worry about your worst strengths, right? That's kind of the, the way that whole thing works. And uh, this isn't really a strength on the strength finder, but there is a strength that I do not have and it is a professional liability. And that is that I have almost zero handle of the English language, right? I mean, it's, it's true. Like, I mean, listen, I'm thankful God called me to be a pastor. He called me to have this job, but he, he put me in a position where like, I have to speak and I have to communicate in public. And like, I barely can speak English correctly. And, uh, and here's the worst part. My mom is an English teacher. Like all my entire life, she's trying to help me with grammar and I cannot figure it out. It's like the matrix to me. Like, except I don't see it. I do not understand the English language. And, and so it's like, why have you called me to do this? It is like, it is so hard. But grammar actually does matter. And I'm so thankful for the gram, uh, grammaticians. You don't even know, right? The people who actually love grammar, who get it, they can understand that it changes everything. If you do a, uh, if you construct a sentence one way, it means one thing. You construct a little different, it means something completely different. And so I don't, I, I know subjects, verbs, adjectives, periods and commas. So that's what I know. And at least I understand this. Commas make all of the difference in the world. A comma changes everything, right? So I go to Google image search and I write, let's eat grandma. And look at this picture. (laughs) It's beautiful. Yes, a meal with grandma. But you know what happens if you go, if you put a comma in just the wrong spot or you take the comma out, right? Let's eat comma grandma. You get this beautiful picture of this lady about to eat with her friends. You take that comma out and you just Google search, let's eat grandma. All of a sudden Google's like, are you sure you want to go down this road? Yeah. It changes everything, right? One comma, you go from, this is the most beautiful meal we're going to have together Sunday after church to you're going to lose your job and you might go to jail, right? Like one comma. It makes all difference. Well, the reason I bring you that is because the the passage of scripture we're going to look at, uh, there is a comma that just has incredible theological significance and ends up being this shiny image that causes a lot of Christians to kind of like go down these wild roads. So we're going to go down a couple wild roads together, but then we're going to try to come back and see what God is really trying to look, tell us through his scriptures. So we are in a series called Digging In the Cross. And the reason why we're doing this digging in during all of Lent is we're saying, we're going to take a look at the seven sayings of Jesus. These are the last things that Jesus said on earth while he was on the cross. And there's these really dramatic statements. Some are kind of weird and don't make sense. But we think it's going to be super fun to look at these statements because these statements tell us very incredible things about Jesus, about his ministry, and about some really incredible good news that I think is still available to us 2,000 years from this actual event. So the passage, the, the statement that we're going to look at today is this. It says, today that you will be with me in paradise. Today you'll be with me in paradise. That's the last statement of Jesus. And it's found in Luke chapter 23. And let's begin our time in Luke chapter 23, verse 36. So it says this, the soldiers also came up. So this is right. Jesus has already gone to the trial. He's been, um, he's, he's been tortured and he's, now he's crucified. He's on the cross and, he, and there's Jesus in the middle and there's these two criminals next to him, right? And the soldiers, they're mocking him. They've offered him wine and vinegar. And they said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. They've also mocked him by putting this plaque above him, right? That there was this written notice above him, which said, this is the king of the Jews. It's just mockery and shame all while he's being crucified. 
Then it goes on to say, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him and said, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and save us. In Mark, there's actually, they go on and say, both criminals, there's both of them are hurling insults at Jesus back and forth, right? And, um, but in this passage in Luke, so this must be even hours later, right? But the other criminal rebuked him and said, don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we are getting what we deserve. But this man, he's done nothing. And then he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Gosh, at the very end, right? Even if he's like mocking, like his whole life has been this criminal. He's just been this dirt ball. He finally, right, gets the punishment that he deserves. He's on the cross. And even while he's on the cross, he's mocking Jesus. And he finally comes to his senses and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Gosh, what an incredible statement of generosity, of good news. And a little bit offensive too. Like why does this guy at the end who does nothing gets to be with Jesus forever? Well, the reason why I wanted to, we're going to get there in a second, but I think what's so fascinating, it says, right, in, in, our, in, our, in the NIV, it says, truly I tell you, comma, today you'll be with me in paradise. And what's interesting is that comma has caused theologians to lose their mind. It's caused denominations to split. It's caused families to hate each other because that comma, like, can mean something totally different, right? And uh, Koine Greek, that's the language that the New Testament was written in, right? So it wasn't written in uh, King James or NIV. It was written in this language, Koine Greek. And in Koine Greek, there's no punctuation. It's all these letters. It's like, it's like my dream. It's like, like our kids who text with no capital letters and punctuation. Like, that's their dream. That's how Koine Greek is. And so they're trying to understand what is going on here. And so interpreters had to figure out, today I tell you, comma, or truly I tell you today, comma. And so the big question is, when you die at the moment of death, what happens? Do, you, do I tell you the truth today that this person someday will be in paradise? Or do I tell you the truth, comma, that today is the day that he's going to be in paradise? This is a, a helpful question, especially as we grieve people who, who have gone to go be with Jesus or we might be fearing death ourselves. And what's incredible is theologians have wrestled with what in the world that means. And, and if you've been around the church long enough, right, you you know, you piece our theology together and it's hard because we know that Jesus dies on the cross and three days later, he rises from the dead. We know at the end, we're all going to rise together uh, and meet Jesus in the air. Or we're going to rise out of the graves and we're going to stand in front of Jesus. And our for names are written in the book of life. We get to spend eternity with God in heaven or in the new Jerusalem, right? Like, like all those, we have this theology and so we're trying to figure out, but what happens between now when you die and whenever the final is that when everybody lives happily ever after, right? Like that is the question. And, uh, and so like you, I had this exact same question and I'm just, I mean, even I was seminary, it was a long time ago. And so I'm going through my books and trying to figure out and I go, you know what? You know who's going to know the answer? Chat GPT. <laughs> right, Kenny? No joke. So I'm going all AI and I go, okay, chat GPT. And so we're going to go down this little rabbit trail. And so I say, okay, I, I've heard of this thing called soul sleep, right? Like you, your soul sleeps and then it, at the end, you wake and you rise. So I say, ChatGPT, what's up with soul sleep? He's like, well, that's Jehovah Witnesses. I'm like, oh, okay, that's probably the wrong, okay, wrong door. So I'm like, okay, what else? Well, I'm trying to wrap my brain around it. And I go, oh, I remember there's this thing called Abraham's bosom. And Abraham's bosom is this epic uh, theology that Jewish people had that basically when the righteous died, they, they did, they would go into the ground, 
but their, their souls would be in Abraham's bosom. Like, that's, like they would hang out in this, like, this, this version of paradise until the final judgment. And so, and you know, Jesus talks about that in, in one of his parables. And so Abraham's bosom, and so I'm like, oh, well, tell me more about Abraham's bosom. And, and so I'm going, chat GPT is giving me all these things. And finally, we're, I get down to the, this intermediate state and this idea of being present, uh, absent from the body and present with the Lord. And chat GPT says, well, the Christian consensus is blah, blah, blah. I'm like, whoa, chat GPT, you're awesome. And I said, chat GPT, show your work, right? Because I'm like, where are you coming up with this? And sure enough, chat GPT goes, Bible verse, Bible verse, Bible verse, and ends up and says, and then in Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, chapter 42, there's a whole chapter on the intermediate state. I'm like, whoa, well, I don't have Wayne Grudem's chapter 42. Uh, so can you summarize for me? Boom, 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 eight bullet points. So I'm like all about the intermediate state. I'm like, and, and so I'm learning all this stuff through, thanks for my uh, research assistant uh, in AI. And, uh, and at the bottom line, all of this rabbit trail, all of the rabbit trails, that, which, which is so funny about all theology, always ends the same way, which is there's a couple things that are true. That God is good, he is just, he is merciful, he is all-powerful, and he's eternal and outside of time. And those things are all true, which means when you go and you finally breathe your last breath, the thing that Christian theologians believe is that we go and we actually go to be with Jesus. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Verse 6 to 8 says, Therefore, we are always confident. We know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith and not by sight. But we are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And so whenever we breathe our last breath, today, comma, we get to be with the Lord in paradise. Now, how that all exactly looks like, we don't totally know, which means we probably shouldn't blow up our friends and family over that comma totally. But what's fun is I'm like, who's smarter than ChatGBT? Daryl Bardo is. And so I actually went to his office. And I'm like, Daryl, help me understand this. And all of a sudden he goes in this giant physics conversation around eternity and the speed of light. And at that point, I'm like, I'm a humanities major. And so I stepped away. So you can go down this rabbit hole as deep and as wide and as far as you want. But it is a rabbit trail, but it is helpful to know the one thing that is good news about this story is that Jesus says, today, comma, you will be with me in paradise. And as Christians, we get to trust that if we turn our hearts to Christ, that paradise begins now, and we get to be with him from our last breath to all of eternity. And that, I think, is incredible good news. So that's the good news. I actually think this, this statement of Jesus is actually a little problematic, though, because there's a little bit of bad news, I think. Because here's the question that I'm wrestling with after I get, that, after I get my chat GPT thing down, which is this, is how can somebody at the end of their life get all of the goods that I've worked my entire life for? Because, I mean, it's, conceptually, it's nice that the prisoner at criminal at the end gets to go to heaven, Right? But if you've been a Christian a long time, like, you know, like, it's costly to be a Christian, it, right? There's some sacrifices to being a Christian and to think, gosh, I'm going to do my whole life saying no to certain things. And yet some at the very end gets the same thing. What I love is Jesus is like, I actually knew you were going to say that. And so in, uh, in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus tells this parable of the vineyard worker. And you may be familiar with this, but it's like Jesus was reading my mind as, uh, as I was reading this passage about the criminal. And this is what he says. He says, for the kingdom of heaven is like this. There's a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. And he agreed to pay them a denarius for that day. And he sent them to the vineyard to work. Makes sense. I'm like, yes. I am a worker. I want to work. I want to serve God. Early in the day, 
I'm like, me, 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 pick me, pick me, right? Jesus says, all right, early in the day, come and be with me and I will pay you a denarius, whatever that is, a bazillion dollars. That's great. Away we go. Well, the parable goes on to say, well, then at nine o'clock, the the landowner goes out and sees some other people looking for work and says, hey, get on in here and work for me starting now. And then at noon, and then at three, and then at five o'clock with only one hour left, the, the, the landowner keeps going out and is inviting more and more people to work the land. So here we are at the very end of the day. Um, so at the very end of the day, um, the, the landowner begins to pay people, starting with the people who just started working, right? So the guy working at five gets a whole denarius. Now you can imagine someone like me, eager beaver over here at the very end, like if he's getting a denarius, I'm at least getting like 20 denariuses, right? I, he, I'm pumped. And, uh, but sure enough, that's not what happens. The landowner gives the guy at five o'clock, at three o'clock, at noon, at nine, all denarius. And then he finally gets to the person early on and gives him a denarius. And he says this, am I being unfair to you, friend? Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? And I just think that's a, that's a good word for those of us who have been around the church uh, for a long time, because Jesus is so generous. Every story of Jesus for the entire testimony of scripture is generosity, is grace, is mercy, is generosity, grace, and mercy to the criminal at the very end. But those of us who've been around the church a while, we're like, I don't know about that. And I just love Jesus. He's like, don't I get, are you offended because I'm generous? Whoa. And here's the truth. I can actually resonate with the bitter workers. I am the older brother to my guts. When I was in high school, I was slowly starting to fall in love with God. I was slowly starting to become a Christian. And by the time I graduated high school, I went to UCSB on a 3-3, because I'm not even that smart. But now no one gets into UCSB, but I got into UCSB. I went to UCSB as a, and I'm like, you know what? I'm a Christian. I love God and I'm going to serve God. And because I was uh, 18 or 19 and didn't know any better, I was just gung-ho. I'm like the early worker. I'm all about it. I joined a a Christian fraternity. I joined Christian ministry. I lived with Christian guys. And I was like in it. I was like learning everything there was to learn. I'm like, now listen, UCSB, number one party school. It was like Playboy's number one party school of the year that year. Ask me how I know that because I care about the culture, right? But that's like, that's my college. But because I love God, I'm like, I'm going to serve you, God. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to serve ministry. And in fact, in those days in Christian ministry leadership, you had to sign a little, uh, little paper that said, I will not uh, be inappropriate sexually and I will not drink alcohol as a leader. I'm like, well, yeah, because I love God and I'm going to do it. So, you know, I didn't even drink in college because I loved God so much. The number one party school, I had unlimited red solo cups at my disposal. I'm like, no, for you, God. And what's wild is I graduate from college and I jump right into ministry. So here I am, 22, right in ministry, loving God, eager beaver, all about it. And it wasn't until I was like 30, I'm 30, I go to this fancy wedding. It's one of my friends from college and we're at this fancy wedding and uh, there's an open bar. And because I'm an eager beaver, I'm like, what do you do at an open bar? I didn't even know how to order alcohol because I was like, I love God and I'd never touch alcohol. And I, so I ordered like a, a beer because that's what I knew what to do. And I'm like, that's never happening again. I'm like, how do I not know what a Manhattan is? I was like all jumbled up about it. And I'm talking with some of my friends from college only to find out that these guys were all total dirtballs in their, in their college careers. For me, I was so naive. I was so open-hearted. I was like, I'm going to serve you, God. And these guys were like, I love God sometimes. And they were like living the life hard, you know, making UCSB great again, right? They were doing all that stuff. And I was like, and I remember being 30, like, oh, I think I missed out. 
I think I missed out. And, uh, and what's funny is like we, like we have all these great stories about all the, the, the crazy things we do in our 20s, but I kind of missed out because I was like, I, I said yes super early. And I remember feeling kind of like, feeling kind of bummed about that. Like, how do I say yes early and I miss out on all these adventures? And, uh, and these guys now at 30 are like, I'm ready to finally serve God and get after it. Like, that's so, that felt so unfair. And then what's crazy is in my 40s, all my friends who are super eager beavers like me are all like jumping ship from the church. Like, gosh, ministry is too hard. Being a pastor is too hard. Serving God in the church for 25, 30 years, that's hard. And they're bailing. They're like, listen, I'm going to go get a job with corporate, you know, with the corporate cheese and, and, and uh, stock options. I'm like, yes, I want stock options, you know? <laughs> and, and I'm like, oh my goodness, like, I'm a little bitter too. Like, okay, so I gave up my wild 20s. I gave up all my wealth in my 40s. Like, what, like, what is this all about? And then what's funny, it's not funny, but in the church, sometimes this happens. Someone comes to, comes to church, they come to, you know, they're later in life. And God does this incredible thing in God's generosity. He transforms people's life. He takes a hold of people and he changes them. And I'm like a little bitter. I'm a little envious. I'm a little like older brother about that. And oh my goodness, this week in my sermon prep, what a punch in the gut because that is the total, I've like missed the whole boat. And maybe you as a Christian have missed the whole boat because the whole boat is the generosity of God. The whole boat is that God has this posture towards you and towards me, whether you started working before dawn or you're going to work one second before you die. The posture towards God is, gosh, I want you to be in my family. I want to just extend grace and mercy and love and affection on you. That's God's posture towards us over and over. And so I think what's helpful is we actually have to change our posture. We have to change our understanding because even in that, that parable, the parable is about the landowner and vineyard workers. But the truth is, if we're hired hands, it makes sense to be bummed all day. But we're not really hired hands. We're actually daughters and sons. That vineyard is not somebody else's vineyard. That is our vineyard, right? I love this picture. This is a picture of Ray Lennonberg who got, went to go be with Jesus a few months ago, and he loved making wine. In fact, at his memorial, that's all we talked about. We even drank some at his memorial. Like, he loves wine. But he was so generous. He always invited people to come and to make wine with him. And they had a share in it. They owned it with them. And here's Rob and Lisa Hoy and, and Craig Dillon, right? They, look at them. They're smiling. You, if you go to Napa Valley on a weekend watching people work on the vineyards, they are not looking like this, right? Because they're hired hands. But this is their wine. They have ownership. There's joy because it is theirs. And I think we need to change our frame. The generosity that God has is that he wants everyone to experience God's love and mercy. And he wants you and I who have already said yes to him to not just be co-laborers, but to be daughters and sons. That you don't realize that when we work in the kingdom of God, we're building the kingdom, which is God's kingdom, but we're co-heirs. Like that's our kingdom. Like, like we're building the family business that's gonna be ours. And so instead of being bitter, like, oh my goodness, look at all these things I didn't get to do in my 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s and whatever. Instead of being bitter, it's like, oh my goodness, I actually got to spend a decade of my life getting my 10,000 hours in of learning the scriptures and the spiritual disciplines and understanding the church and the ministry so that I have now have all these hours under my belt that God gets to use me in a totally different way. And praise God that uses, God uses the people at the very end of their life in a totally unique way too, right? All of us have a unique story. All of us uniquely want to be used by God. And so I think we just need to reframe in our adjustment to recognize that today, comma, you will be with me in paradise is a gift of generosity and grace. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter when you say yes. It doesn't matter where along the day you said yes, that God's generosity is not like you finally figured out. He's like, you at the end of the day, you're in. 
just like the person that Dawn is in. And those of us who have been around a long time, may we not lose heart. May we not just be religious, boring, older brothers who are bitter. And may we see we are building the family business and find all the joy. I just want to briefly share about some of my heroes. Um, And we have a number of them at our church. But the people in the recovery community, they get this in their core. In their core, they're not like, I need more years of addiction, right? They're not, oh, if only I I got over my addiction later in life because I need more years of that. Like anyone who's actually wrestled with addiction is like, oh man, I want to slay that demon as soon as possible. And what is incredible is the people in the recovery community who at dawn figure it out are the most incredible people, right? Because very early on they go, oh my goodness, this thing my life is out of control because of this thing. And they begin the steps and they begin the transformation and they begin the healing. And then they spend decades learning and growing and owning this recovery path. And so they are so much more whole than the person who spent an entire life of addiction and have just a whole train wreck of death and destruction by them. And yes, there's God's still gracious, but that person at the end, right? The people who like get over their addiction, addiction so late in life, I mean, they're fried. It's heartbreaking but yet they still are available for God's grace and mercy. And what I love is people in the recovery community, they don't just go, the recovery is for me. Their whole community, their recovery process only works is if they go and sponsor other people. If they own that they are part of the process of other people's recovery and everyone who's fully in recovery, are, it is in their guts to run after those people who need rescuing. And they are my heroes. They are modeling the transformative process and are leveraging it for other people. And they're not like, oh, I wish I was addicted longer, right? And that's our trick. That's what we do to ourselves in the church. And so my hope and prayer is that we would take on that mantle, that we would see ourselves as being recovering, right? From a life of sin and brokenness and rebellion. And we would become more healed and whole and forgiven. And we would tune that life to run after others and not be bitter at them, not be sad at them, not be jealous at them, but be so excited that God's generosity is just as available to them, has just as much access to them. So what I want to do is I just, we're going to spend a moment in prayer, but I just wanted to offer two brief invitations. And one, as maybe you've been around the church family for a while and you've been around the goodies of God, you've been around the people of God, and you're, listen, as a guest, I hope that you just get unlimited love and affection by being around the people of God. But at some point, maybe God is inviting you. Maybe that's today, comma, right? That God might be inviting you to say yes, to be his actual daughter, to be his actual son, and to take advantage of all of the rights that come when you say yes to Jesus and are adopted into his family. And there's no like mumbo jumbo. There's no magic words. It's a simple, I mean, the, the, the criminal, right? Jesus, remember me when you go into your kingdom, right? It's just a simple posture of, oh my goodness, I am at the end of my rope in the recovery community, right? I, my, my life has become unmanageable because of this. Right? It's a simple, humble posture of Jesus. I don't want to live in the orphanage anymore. I want to live as a daughter or son. And when we say, when we offer that prayer, Jesus in his generosity snatches us and invites us into his family and gives us a brand new identity. And so for some of you, you may be around and, and maybe you're ready to make that, that, that step. And if so, I'm going to offer a prayer for you in a second. And then the other invitation, I think, is for those of us who've been around the church a long time, maybe you're a little weary from trying to be good Christian people. 
And the invitation is, gosh, we have to throw away the idea of being good Christian people. That's so boring and lame. We are daughters and sons of the most incredible landowner on the planet. And he wants you and I to be co-laborers, to be co-heirs, to be his partners in ministry, to be his hands and feet, to be the people who actually are used by Jesus to run after the lost and broken and broken down and extend God's grace, his unlimited grace. The same grace that we've experienced, he longs for it to be them, even if it's the last day of their life. And so the second invitation is maybe God's inviting you to make a deeper step in your following of Christ to be someone who's going to be used by God right now in your sphere of influence with your relationships where God has planted you right now. So with all that being said, let me just offer a little space for us to do some business with God, to pray, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll wrap up our time this morning. So I'm going to invite the band out and, and let's pray together. Heavenly Father and our gracious God, your generosity knows no bounds. I can't even have a big enough imagination to understand it completely, but I pray that you'd help all of us understand the incredible, infinite grace and mercy and generosity that you have for each and every one of us and for each and every human being. And for those of us who've been around the church for a little bit, and maybe this morning is the morning that we're tired of just being in the orbit around the family of God, but are ready to say yes, who are at the end of their rope, whose lives have become unmanageable. And just in a simple declaration, Jesus, remember me. Jesus, save me. Jesus, forgive me. Any simple declaration, God, we just offer that to you. And in your generosity and in your graciousness, you say, today you will be with me in paradise. And, and for anyone this morning who says yes to that, we say amen and praise God and may their lives be forever changed as you through the ministry of the Holy Spirit transform them. And may they experience paradise now. May they work towards paradise in the future and may they forever enjoy paradise with you. And for those of us who've been around the church for a while, I just pray that you'd forgive me, forgive us for seeing it as boring work, as sad work, as self-righteous work. I pray that you would change our framing but, and you'd give us fresh eyes to see that the generosity that you've given to us, you've also empowered us through the ministry of your Holy Spirit to actually be co-laborers, to be co-heirs, that we're not working for a distant land or we're listening, we're working for our heavenly father. And you long to use us to be your hands and your feet, to be the extension of your grace and your mercy to those around us. So maybe that might be some of you this morning that you want to say, yes, Jesus, use me. Use me. And God, I pray that you provide people in our lives that we can just generously offer our entire lives to you and trust that through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you would grab a hold of them. So may this verse be so true like it was then, may it be true now, and may it be true forever, that today, comma, we get to be with you in paradise. May we work towards your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, and may all honor and glory be to your son, Jesus Christ, both now and forevermore. 
And all of God's kids said, amen and amen. Let's stand as we continue to worship.